Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Trish with me. Trish, who on earth are you? Oh, hey. Uh, well, I suppose I'm returning your favour. So I think about a year ago, Holly, you kindly joined me on the Fast Forward podcast to talk about insight into cyber for startups. And that's kind of the stuff that I do. Uh, I head up an incubator and an enterprise organisation called Tech Manchester. Do you want me to tell you a bit more about it? Yeah, go ahead. So we kind of work with uh, a whole community of startups and also learners, you know, people across Greater Manchester who are trying to nurture their skills in digital tech, computer engineering. And we empower those communities through education and entrepreneurship and enterprise and all great stuff that you might see through it that might come through a typical business support organization. So we'll provide them with, you know, digital classes, workshops, pitch programs. Um, and then on the skill side, it's sort of entry level digital certifications and digital qualifications that will help them get their kind of their fit on the ladder of their their digital careers. This is incredibly interesting. But my problem is always with these things. Where on earth does a person start? So helping startups through education and entrepreneurship, things like that. When when would a, a startup or when would an entrepreneur engage with Tech Manchester? At what point in their journey? Do you know, that's a great question because I think um, in the sort of greater Manchester ecosystem about five or six years ago, there, there would have been a real struggle for startups. They wouldn't have had anywhere to start, particularly in the digital space. And that's kind of like the, where the foundations of Tech Manchester came from, because it came out of a Manchester Tech Trust report, which um, had highlighted some disparities within the ecosystem, that there wasn't enough support out there. And Sir Howard Bernstein was the litmus paper that kind of lit the idea for, for Tech Manchester back in 2016. And it was always about helping to sort of fill gaps in terms of what was needed out there for startups to help get going in uh, in their business journeys and what was already out there and what else could be provided to help kind of make the, the ecosystem a virtuous cycle because I think there was gaps back then. Um, fast forward five years, it's almost like you can't see the woods for the trees. There's so much support out there that startups now struggle to go, well, who do we who do we start with? Um, because they're in in the Northwest, there is just so much support out there. And in some ways, that's a good thing because it means that the barrier to entry has never been lower. You know, anybody that's got an idea that wants to have a go can do. And I suppose that's really the the ethos of, of Tech Manchester and perhaps comes from my own personal values, you know, coming from stereotypical Irish family, eight kids, Catholic family, potato picking was my first job. We didn't have a lot of capital in the family, not uh, financial capital, but we had a lot of will and sort of go-getting attitudes. And, you know, you just need opportunities. And that's really what we try to do is create opportunities for people that want to have a go. And um, so early stage stuff is where we're great. And then we help feed into the wider ecosystem of a plethora of other sort of public sector and VC based and uh, equity based accelerators that exist. And um, the growth company, the business growth hub, NatWest business accelerator, ADV, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff out there which startups can can tap into. But it just depends on what stage that they're at as to who might be the best person to go and uh, knock on the door the first time. 
So you're based in the northwest, of course, as we mentioned. How good is the northwest for tech startups? If I was thinking about starting a company and I'm thinking, where on earth do I do it? Should I make the move to London? What's the benefit of being in the northwest? Well, I think there's about five years worth of reports to say that Manchester is like the happiest city uh, and the best work-life balance in the UK for at least the last five years. And speaking as a as a blow-in that's come here, I you know I'd have to agree with that. You can have I think Manchester's nice because it's big enough to be cosmopolitan, but small enough for people to actually care and be interested in each other and want to kind of help each other out. Um, and there's 18,000 tech firms right across the Northwest and Greater Manchester that are here for those very reasons. Um, and I think it's that collective approach, I think, that the Northwest takes where it recognises that to it, it sometimes it does often compare itself to London and it always tries to pair itself up because it, we do know that we're second to London now. We're ahead of Cambridge in terms of tech investment. You know, we have half of the UK's unicorns are based in the Northwest. Um, so we do have that kind of ethos of we want to try and uh, accelerate and improve. But it is a collaborative approach. I think we recognize that no one can do it alone and that all of the org support organizations, all of the ecosystem, tech and otherwise, have to come together to be able to see that um, accelerate. So, yeah, no, I think it's a great place. I think Northwest is really good at nurturing startups and allowing them to scale. So you mentioned uh, educational content for, for the startups. What kind of things do you, do you run them through? Of course, you mentioned cybersecurity, which is uh, my involvement on the Fast Forward podcast. But other, other than how not to get hacked, how, how do you help them? There's always a common misperception from people that are starting out that the first thing that they do need to do is raise money. And whilst raising money and having a, a funding strategy is really important, I think that's one of the common mistakes that, that startups will make. And we try and help educate them and help empower them to be more kind of aware and fully competent entrepreneurs so that they can make informed decisions later in their journey. I think one of the things that they think is that investment firms are looking to invest in ideas. They're not investment VCs and equity-based firms are interested in investing in businesses to make money. So startups have to get to a point where they've launched a product or they've got, um, you know, product validation or they have got some commitments for contracts because that's what investors are interested in. But then it's about, you know, is it equity funding that they need? Um, so we try to educate them around that whole kind of funding matrix. So, you know, what's debt funding? What's angel investment? What's institutional investment? Um, what about innovation grants? You know, all of this stuff goes into your, into your fund, the mix. And then beyond that, we look at other business skills. You know, you need to know your numbers. Um, really, you have to have a really good, strong grip of your finances and cash flow and financial planning is one of the big reasons that startups will fail because they haven't got that kind of uh, runway in their in their cash flow. And um, one of the other reasons they fail is that they build products that nobody wants. So um, we try to we try to really drive home the importance of, you know, customer validation and testing things early and validating any of the assumptions that they they make. And we do that through a number of different channels, both through the workshops and the education that we provide, but also our mentor program, which is now three years and a bit old. And we have over 250 business leaders across the Northwest who volunteer their time to help those startups over a 12-month period. It's actually the largest uh, mentoring program for tech businesses now in the Northwest, which we're really, really proud of. So, yeah, so we provide them with all of that kind of ongoing uh, education and support. And 
hopefully get to them to a point where they are investor ready and that they are making well thought out investment strategies in terms of how to to take their businesses forward. Yeah, this is really interesting to me. I, I like the part where you say you've really got to know your numbers, you've got to know your, your cash flow and your cash burn. And I understand why entrepreneurs might not necessarily want to track those numbers as closely as they can, because it's like <laughs> exactly how long before we go bankrupt. That's yeah. that's what we need to know. That doesn't sound as interesting yeah. as working on the product. And then mentioning, of course, things like um, product market fit and, and, and how much do people want, want your product. It, it, of course, can become really easy to be like, well, I think it's cool. So presumably yeah. other people will think it's cool. How do you how do you work entrepreneurs through those kinds of problems? How do you keep them with a view on the market as opposed to that very insular I like my product everybody else should like it um there is a really interesting book uh Holly called the mom test which is literally asking you know if you ask your mom and your friends hey what do you think of this product is really cool right would you buy it and they go oh god yeah yeah I'll definitely definitely buy I would definitely buy that but when it comes to it they probably won't buy it and so you need to go and ask the tough questions Um, And that's one of the things that we encourage from the mentors is that they are there to ask the objective, tough questions. And what happens when they really drive down into it is that quite often that the entrepreneurs do come to the conclusion that they haven't actually maybe identified a product that's going to become a business. But we do help them pivot then. And sometimes that actually results in other ideas and ideation sessions, which um, then result in better business ideas and better things that they can that they can run with. Um, we had a great couple on the podcast last year, Gareth Healy and Tanya Nickel, and that is exactly what happened with their mentor partnership. She started off with an idea that she was going to write a travel blog, and that over, I think it took about to the fourth meeting where he started asking her the tough questions, which was, "This is all great, but how are you going to make money?" And um, eventually she came to the conclusion that she couldn't make money from that. But then they did a session where they ideated other ideas that she had. And then they came up with a travel planning platform, which now in the new world, whatever it's going to look like, you know, we keep talking about returning to normal. I don't think we ever will. I think that's now called the past. (laughs) Um, The future, the future of travel is you're going to need to know about do I need to have a vaccine? Do I, you know, where, you know, what is the COVID, what is the COVID infection rate in that country? And um, what are the emergency procedures if uh, a country shuts or, shuts its borders? You know, things like that that all can be in, that she's planning to build into this platform based on her own personal experience. Because actually, in the middle of lockdown last year, she got stuck, uh, trapped inside Cameroon, <laughs> and wasn't able to leave because they shut their borders. And it was just complete chaos. So it's, you know, lived experiences that are helping shape that what that business looks like going forward. But yeah, so it's about, you know, asking tough questions, being open minded as an entrepreneur, not being too precious about the original idea that you have, because, you know, you have a goal to be successful in business. And it's not about just proving somebody right or wrong around a particular idea. But that all comes back to, you know, when we talk about open mindedness, having a growth mindset and learning to fail fast and fail, fail early and take the learnings and, and move on, which is tough to do whenever it's your precious and it's your baby. And it's something that you've cultivated and, and invested a lot of blood, sweat and tears in. But I think UK entrepreneurs, and founders probably struggle with that a bit more than you might see in other in other uh, countries. But I think that's maybe because our education system doesn't really in- encourage it. So it's hard for us to make that jump. And, you know, because we're not used to 
accepting failure because in our education system failure is not an option you know so I think it's it's harder which is maybe maybe a journey I think that the education system needs to go on and it needs to be embedded more into how we're actually bringing our young ones through so maybe the education system needs disrupted Holly <laughs> maybe um <laughs> it, it's interesting as well you kind of dissect the idea of what does failing mean because in the broader mm. business context you know failing could mean going bankrupt but what we're talking about here is working out that this idea is not the optimal idea mm-hmm. and moving towards something better yeah. making a better plan or pivoting the business away from it so it's like fail here it's not like the end of everything right it's just move on no exactly and there's you know, there's some really great examples of, of businesses in, in Manchester that have done that. The Help Out to Eat Out app is a, a spin out of another app business that's building a white label products for um, rewards apps, things like that. Immersify Education was a pivot from, from another startup, which was, uh, I can't remember the original name of it now. It's gone. Something to do with digital dentistry, I think it was. And now it's pivoted. It's become Immersify Education. It's now one of the top invested startups that came out of Manchester in the last 12 months. You know, things like that. There's always success stories, I think, that follow on. And I don't know if there's any successful entrepreneur that you've ever heard on any podcast or any book that you've ever read where they haven't failed about 20 times before they've they've come to finally, a, you know, a, a good idea that that works. Um, I don't know any. I don't know any entrepreneur that's got it right. The first, hey, I've just happened to think of this, you know, multi-million pound idea, and the first time that I've thought about an idea, I don't think that's um, realistic. So I think people need to probably be prepared to feel loads, and and that's part of the path to success. Yeah, and it's it's also this idea of like you're never going to get it right the first time because you're learning so much. Right, it's like um growing a business, scaling a business. You're you're doing so many things that you've you've never done before as a first time entrepreneur. It's not like some innate natural ability. It's just like you know I have this idea and I'm working out how to take that to market. Right. Yeah, you don't know how to you don't know how to run a business and you don't know how to to do each stage of a business. It doesn't matter what stage you're at. So if you're at startup stage and you're just starting out well you need to learn how to do everything you are you're the cfo you're the you're the marketing person you're the you're the sales person you're the you know you're the procurement person you're you're everything and if you particularly if you are transitioning out of employment into being a founder you don't have that plethora of skills because you normally have a whole suite of people and resources within a company that you've been in that did all that stuff for you um, and it's hard. And I'm, I, you know, and I'm, I think about my own experience starting my own startup business back in 2014 when we did We Do. And it was trying to bootstrap the company, working full time for Regis, then scaling that back, but up then stepping up the hours that it was doing on We Do. And whilst it was hugely rewarding and, and one of the best kind of career experiences that I've had, it was hard. And, it, you know, when people talk about work-life balance and, the rea- you know, the reason that you might want to start your own business is that you want to have a better work-life balance. You won't. <laughs> you won't. That is not what happens. You might 10 years t- down the line, um, but you really don't know what you're doing. Everything is difficult. Everything is stressful. You have lots of plates to spin. And the more you get into it, the more you realize that there's more plates that you need to spin and you don't know how to spin them. So... Uh, and that's your that's your startup. That's definitely your first five years of your startup journey. But then as you experience success and you do get traction and you start growing your business, then you're into the next stage, which is how do I manage a team? How do I scale this business? How do I raise investment or how do I raise finance is probably a better um, way to describe it. And which funding pathway should I take? And these are all things that you learn as you go. I like the kind of description about flying a plane as you're building it. 
I think that's a great analogy. Oh, um, starting a company is like jumping off a cliff and building a plane on the way down. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Or Mark Wright said when he said it was like um, riding a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I really like that one. You mentioned work-life balance. So I, I find running a startup, um, the, the way I think about things is different because work-life balance for people who, who aren't working in a startup or doing the entrepreneur thing is very much like the, uh, I do so many things between nine and five and then I make sure that there's a certain proportion of my life left over for doing other things, family, friends, kids, whatever. Yeah. Whereas I find now my life is very much, there's an awful lot of things that I should be doing but very few that I have to be doing. And that's different kind of balance, right? Because it's like, oh, I could take today off if I wanted to. Yeah. That would be a terrible decision because I have so many <laughs> things that I should be doing, but I absolutely could. So that the way of thinking about work, your whole relationship. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> if you took the day off, you wouldn't enjoy it because you would be sitting stressing out about all the things that you should be doing. All of the things that don't get done. Uh, how are you coping with the, uh, the fact that your brain is always switched on and... Uh, running through at lightning pace 24-7. It, it is, um, it's weird. And one of the things that I have to bear in mind is that not everybody else is thinking about nothing but my company all of the time. Because <laughs> it's very easy to, to try and like push every conversation towards this thing that I spend 22 or 24 hours of my day thinking about. Um, and yeah. uh, it makes it, it makes it very difficult to, to switch off. You know, you might not necessarily be in the office. You might not necessarily be, you know, coding or doing something that's very direct progress for the business, but you're still thinking about it. it yeah. It's it's very difficult. But that's what I mean about the difference between work-life balance. Like that whole phrase just means something different to me now. Oh, yeah, completely, completely. I think um, it's recognizing that, that it is going to be hard work, but also finding ways to manage that. Yeah, because you need you need to because no one can be twenty four seven turned on all of the time. I really struggled with it um, way back at the beginning when we did start Redo Off because I did have my full time job as well as doing this startup, and there that is a very common story, particularly over lockdown. Um, I think we've seen a lot of people who were on furlough, uh, and we're we're seeing those startups coming through um, on the programs that we run now where. They've been at home. They've had some free time. The barriers to entry because of all these platforms you can hack together um, and create e-commerce websites, etc., very easily. But now people are going back to work. And so now they're finding themselves exactly in that position where they've got this lovely passion project that they really enjoyed working on. And they think that there's something there, but they've also got a job, which now they actually have to do that. They actually are coming off furlough and they actually have to do some work. And they're going to they're going to struggle, but you need to find, like I did, um, ways to be able to manage that. And the way that I eventually did it was just having a notebook in my bedside cabinet because my brain, it was when I went to bed. So I would be buzzing all day and I'd have all the stuff and I would have my to do lists and everything, get everything done. I'd be doing the uh, social media marketing probably from eight to ten at night and then I would try and go to bed. Head absolutely busting. Um, with other stuff and, and that anxiety of like oh my god I need to do this oh my god I need to do this and so a notebook that's what I ended up putting in my bedside cabinet so anytime I was waking up going oh my god I need to do this I would just write it down to get it out of my head and eventually that helped me get into a more settled sleep pattern 
um, because I knew that I wasn't going to forget. <laughs> I, I haven't been finding difficulty in getting to sleep, which doesn't surprise me the amount of hours that I'm working. But what I'm finding is waking up very early and having an idea and thinking, oh, I should get to work straight, straight away on that and getting and starting work much earlier than I otherwise would have, certainly not being so married to the, to the nine o'clock start that, that people know from office hours. Yeah. And then I work for hours and hours and hours. I'll get to maybe 3 p.m. and I'll think, why am I so tired? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm totally exhausted. Yeah. And I think, oh, no, I need to I need to keep working. I need to do a little bit more. I can't I can't finish early. I'm so busy when in actuality I started three hours earlier than I otherwise would have. Yeah. Have you found any other uh, techniques to help you relax the time that you have? Yeah. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing yet because I haven't been doing it for long enough. But by... Um, effectively scheduling this is the weirdest thing they're talking to friends and saying like I have a spreadsheet for when I should have relaxed time and it's <laughs> it sounds crazy but um, think about it in the context of when you're you know the first person into a company and you're responsible for everything I have to do a certain amount of finance I have to do a certain amount of business planning I have to do a certain amount of marketing mm. um, it's very easy to forget those things it's very easy to get engrossed in one task building the product prototyping those kinds of things 12 hours go by and you've done nothing but code so I have to have like a series of alarms to say okay now is the time that you need to get on social media and do some marketing and I find that as well with now is the time that you need to do nothing like this is you, know, yeah. you need to either be social or go outside or do some exercise because you've been at your desk for 15 hours yeah no I don't I think that's uh I think that's a great way to do it and especially if you're somebody that likes that diarized approach and if it's how you're running the rest of your life and your business why wouldn't you do it to your relaxation time it's about investing time uh in recharging your batteries because that's really what you're doing yeah. you know I know that I'm the type of person that I'm like I am probably like a Duracell bunny and then I'll just keep going yeah. filled tilt flat out and then I'll crash and then I'll lie down for a bit and then I get up and I go filled I only know one pace my mum says like she's like yeah. you only know filled tilt and that's it I know that about myself so I I also recognize the times where I do need to just stop and lie down and just watch you know some kind of nonsense on on Netflix for a day because it's good for my good for my brain just to to stop every once in a while and it's uh, it's not sustainable as well. You know, it might be an entrepreneurial stereotype that you work 100 hours a week, but you do, you know, you're still a human being. You're going to break if you don't take break. We're not encouraging hustle porn here, people. This isn't a competition, but it gets <laughs> away the longest. Yes, you do have to work hard as an entrepreneur, but you definitely need to look after yourself because it is that analogy. You know, you cannot um, help anybody else until you put on your own face mask. And you certainly don't need to go around ripping off other people's face masks whenever you're being, if you've over, if you've overstretched yourself, because invariably that's what you end up doing. Um, if you have starved yourself of oxygen and rest and recuperation, <laughs> is that you run around in a panic and you're ripping everybody else's off and stressing everybody else out. So do everybody a favor. Just relax <laughs> for a little bit sometimes. So you mentioned uh, lockdown and you mentioned people being on furlough. I definitely identify with that. I know at the, the very start of my journey, people, when you talk about starting a company and you talk about entrepreneurship, people want to talk about investors and they want to talk about VC and they want to talk about, oh, would you take VC or would you take Angel? And I remember being at the very start of my journey and thinking, it's not money that I need, it's time. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned furlough. Yeah. So has... Has uh, lockdown had an impact on the way that, that businesses are starting up? Are more people thinking, oh, hey, I've, I've had this furlough now. I've got, got the idea. Shall I, shall I run with it? How's that impacting it? Um, I think it's like any 
crisis that, that, you know, we look at the 2008 recession, we look at the ones before that, and we look at now, and, you know, crisis spawns innovation, and how many new products have spun up because in response to crisis, how many startups have pivoted into new uh, revenue streams and new uh, delivery products, you know, 3D printing of face visors. I seen yesterday, it was one of the famous boxers. I'm really, really bad with names. Um, he's a heavyweight boxing champion. He's got a mask company called the Black Mask Company. And it's like, you know, a boxer's got a mask company. Did Spree Gin. They pivoted and started producing hand gel and, and supplied all of the um, hand gel to the Greater Manchester Police during lockdown. And then you, you look down at the, you know, the, the grassroots people, you know, the people sitting at home who are also spinning out ideas and starting businesses. How many little mask, handcrafted mask companies did their start? A friend of mine had started as a thing called Nola's. And she started off with masks and now she's doing memory teddies and memory cushions. And I got about five cushions and six teddies from my dad who passed away at the beginning of the year. You know, and I was able to order that all online through, I think it was through Shopify. I think she was selling it or maybe Etsy. You know, great little innovations that are happening. And she's using technology for her bespoke, you know, handcraft company. So you don't have to be hard, hard tech, but you can use technology to enable whatever business it is that you're that you're planning to start. And I think that's why technology industry doesn't really exist anymore. It's technology is every business. Every business needs technology. We talk about that in the context of um, cyber, though. So uh, we have this distinction between cyber-enabled and cyber-centric crime. Because when you think about things like uh, fraud, fraud wasn't invented with a computer, right? It's been around for an awful long time. So when you look at businesses like this, where you say, you know, um, your bespoke manufacturing business, a craft business, something like that, technologies like Etsy and Shopify where they allow you to to take your crafts and add e-commerce to them very easily like that's that's a, a huge advantage that's now available yeah no absolutely and you're you know what you're saying is almost like to the same extent to what I'm saying is that there's no technology industry anymore there's not really a cyber industry yeah. cyber is every business yeah. you know every single business has a cyber element to it and I think I think there's loads it's just statistics out there um you can probably share them better than i can in terms of how many businesses have been have been the victim of a cyber crime and how many have admitted it um you know how many don't even know that they've been a victim of a cyber crime and um, which is why we embed that in the in the startup journey i mean you're fantastic holly in that you contribute your time to help train our mentors and educate them on cyber for startups so that they can think about protecting their businesses from the get-go because um, quite often by the time they think about that, it's too late. They've already lost whatever intangible assets that they should have had their arms around and been protecting from the very beginning. And and that's where most of the value is for, for businesses these days, is it is in the intangible assets that lie behind firewalls and on servers and uh, and things like that. Yeah, and it's hard as well in the startup space where you're using lots of different technologies or sometimes trying to just like tie things together whilst you're getting off the ground. And also during that period of a a startup's life where um, job titles don't really apply (laughs) and you don't have a security person. It's just you just have people and everybody does everything. I am the person. person So that was um, how lockdowns impacted the number of startups. But how has lockdown potentially impacted um, investors and, and things like the VC market? Well, just before we move on from um, the startups themselves, because actually Manchester was the, what did they call us? 
Um, if it's a lockdown, oh, I can't remember. There was a there was a phrase. It'll come to me. I'll come back to it in a minute. But it was basically the lockdown capital. There was more uh, businesses started up in Manchester than anywhere else in the UK. It was an O2 report. It'll pop out into my head in a minute what they called us. Anyway, come back to that. <laughs> but from the, from a VC point of view, it has, I think, like all industries, when lockdown happened, um, investment stopped for the month of March. It, everything just, everybody stopped. You no, know, everybody was in shock. And we all slowly then started pivoting and finding other ways to do business. And in the same case, it happened for the equity markets. Their business is investing in businesses. So they had to restart investing. Now, what lockdown has done is that it's almost made it a more inclusive market. Because pitching events and things like that, normally at night time, a lot of the big ones in London, which meant that you needed to expend extended time down in London to raise any kind of serious money. And now, because these pitching events are all virtual and they're online, they're much more accessible for investors. They're much more, the startup community uh, from a regional point of view is much more accessible to, to those institutional investors as well. And as a result, um, Manchester has accelerated its numbers. It's got record numbers of investment. I think the Tech Nation report that came out there uh, for 2021, 63 billion is invested in, in the Northwest and, and most of that's in Manchester. It's incredible. And, you know, when we look at all of the kind of exciting companies that are coming out of Manchester, you know, Peak AI, which is using automated intelligence for the digital e-commerce market. Push Doctor is a Manchester startup. Access Pay. There's actually a really cool one called Landscape, which is uh, the glass door for VC. So you can now go to Landscape and it will give you reviews on VC. So now VCs have to pull up their their docs and become much more socially conscious and think about their own their own employer brands almost. You know, so if you go on there and you see, I'm not going to say any VC company names, but let's say ABC. No, no, there probably is an ABC Ventures. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> there will be at the top of the list alphabetically. <laughs> That's what they've gone for. A A A A A A A Adventures, Venture Capitals. Back to the Yellow Pages days. Um, but you know, whatever the the VC is, and you're you're a discerning entrepreneur, and you've built something that's actually pretty cool, and you've got some good traction, and you've got some investor interest, and now investors are almost having to compete and demonstrate to you what value, uh, what they can bring to your to your business and it will help there's so many horror stories like you hear them time and time again about toxic investment and this is a new platform that will allow entrepreneurs to make more discerning decisions about who they take investment from and be able to crowdsource that information so like things like that are coming out of manchester and it's uh, on the northwest sorry and it's, it's just really cool to see yeah it's it's cool just to see how these things can change in ways that you that you haven't anticipated. I think, you know, when I ask that question, my expectation is people saying, oh, everything's just video conferences now. You know, we don't we don't visit each other. But but actually what we're saying there is there's, there's bigger changes than that taking place. The whole the whole way the market works is having changes if, yeah. if VCs are finally having social presences. Yeah, well, I guess it takes away the I mean, one of the strong feelings that I've always had is that if people want to invest in Manchester, they need to have a presence there. And there were only really 10 
um, institutional investors that had offices in the region. Whereas now, I think it's just I think we're now borderless. We're borderless in in everything that we're we're doing. UK companies can join international accelerators that normally would have been completely out of their price points in terms of where they might be able to get into opportunities that are that are in different accelerators around the country or globally. Um, you can dial into any event anywhere at any time. And it's fascinating to hear more culturally diverse um, events. I've been to events all over the world. I've been to events in America. I've been to events in Australia. <laughs> I've been to events in English-speaking countries. You can just go on to Eventbrite, go on to Meetup, go on to different uh, Facebook groups and find out what's going on um, and get yourself stuck in there and see what opportunities can shake out for you. It is It is great. And I am... Um... I virtually attended a event in Singapore as well. So like I agree with just events now that they're global, not only national, which is wonderful. Mm. Um, of course, that was entirely by my mistake. I thought the event was happening at <laughs> 6 p.m., which I thought was a brilliant time for a virtual event. It was 6 a.m. and I'd got my time zones wrong. <laughs> so that is a problem. Now that virtual events are global, we have to worry a lot yeah. more about time zones. <laughs> Yeah, no, we had one. I was a, uh, I was a. Uh, there was one yesterday, and it was eight a.m. Pacific time, but it was actually four p.m. GMT that we were we were dialing in. So it was all good morning. Oh no, wait, no, good afternoon. I don't know <laughs> what time is it wherever you are. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's it's great. Definitely, I suppose you have to say this with a bit of balance. But you know, the world has got people that have the digital access a lot more inclusive. Um, and you think about people that might not normally have been able to reach different events because of the time of day, because they've got care and responsibilities, you know, particularly female founded businesses, especially during lockdown where, like, let's be honest, women took up most of the unpaid workload that uh, that came along. Men did more, but it was still women who did double more because who organized the extra, men, the, the extra time the men were doing? Um, you know, but now they can attend events in the evenings. They can attend events early morning. You can, it's literally just switching on. I've been on two events at the same time. It's brilliant. I haven't tried that yet, but I've definitely had something that just wouldn't have been possible previously. The ability to do more than one event in a day without killing yourself through travel. Um, yeah, yeah, I did. I did, um, two speaking events back to back and it sounded like a terrible idea when I first booked it, but it went fine because of course, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I just leave, leave one chat and, and, and enter the next. So, so it worked well. Yeah. What else have we got? I think we've covered everything on my... My head's wrecked. You keep asking me questions and I go on to talk about something else. <laughs> it's fine. That's no, good. I think we've covered everything that I had on my list. So Trish, thank you very much for being on the podcast. If people want to learn more about the work that you do or what you're getting involved in, um, where can they learn more? So if they come and check us out at www.techmanchester.co.uk or follow any of our social channels, we're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we've just launched our TikTok channel, which is really cool. Uh, we're just at the beginning of that. We haven't worked out yet how to go viral, but uh, you know we're in the digital space. We're in the startup uh, entrepreneurial space. We're gonna we're gonna work that out. So watch out on your TikTok channels soon, folks. On on that on TikTok, one thing that I've been doing over the last few weeks, um, st- starting a company is really difficult before the product is ready because you want to talk to your audience and you want to talk to the market but you don't necessarily have anything that you can share either because the product isn't ready or if it's not at market yet you don't want to talk too much about specifically how things work so i have been talking about just like what i've been doing 
that day like what is what is my takeaway that day for 60 second videos and when you get into that habit of just like trying to summarize what have I done today in in 60 seconds in it like a single TikTok um you get some surprisingly odd content out there it's 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 wonderful when you look at like <laughs> I'm gonna go and follow you <laughs> yeah the, the number of challenges that you try and solve within within a single day because very often you know you, you can see on my wall behind me I, I track everything I do through a series of of colored post-it notes now yes. yeah you forget you forget the the challenges that you're solved and what you've worked through and all those kinds of things so I think um, TikTok just as like a one minute diary entry of what did I do today is a great way of using that platform. Yeah, great way to journal right? Absolutely. You can look back you'll be able to watch those TikToks in a year's time and go oh wow look how far I've come. Yeah and and things like uh, going through pivots and things like that it's like wow remember before we knew what this company does. <laughs> do you remember when we thought that was a good idea? <laughs> yeah exactly like, wow look how little we knew back then. <laughs> We hadn't a clue, but I suppose that's what you realize when you get older. You know, when you're when you're younger, you think you know everything, and then when you get into your forties, you realize you know nothing. It's kind of the same when you're running a business. Awesome. Well, we'll drop your social links in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow up on that. And um, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Holly. I really enjoyed my time today. <laughs> Thank you.